Good morning. I'm going to start with a, I'm going to ask a question. I was, I was reading this week uh, a really interesting article because I was thinking through what were the ads we see and what we're bombarded with daily. And I, and I read three different articles this week on how many ads we see each week. I want you just to think about that for a second. Just think about your day and what you see. You listen to the radio, billboards, Internet, TV, all that stuff. How many ads you're confronted with each day. And what I read is the low estimate is 400. The high estimate is 5,000. And that most likely the average is about 3,000 ads a day. That's what you see on average. And that was kind of a whole range. And one of the newest article that I read said you see approximately 3,000 ads a day. And that was just baffling to me as I read that because I was kind of going to look Oh, yeah, I know we see a lot of ads, but then as I read that, I was shocked by how many. And uh, I was sharing that with Joanna last night. We were talking about it. And she said, yeah, uh, I almost hate when, when the boys, whenever we turn on the TV for them to watch cartoons or something, because every single ad is for toys and things. And she said, every time the commercials are on, all they say is, I want that, and I want that, and I want that. And what, what we're bombarded with, um, as I was thinking about that, what, what do the ads say? And most of them are, are pushing things on us. You know, this, buy this, get this, you need this. And that's kind of the culture we live in. As I was thinking about that, uh, that we live very much in a consumer-driven culture. We get bombarded with that at every turn all the time. Uh, maybe you've heard this before, maybe you haven't. Have you ever heard the term planned obsolescence? You ever heard that before? What, what that means is when, when we make things today, uh, computer monitors is one of the big things I was reading the other day that they do this. They make them to break within two to three years or to be obsolete, so you have to buy a new one. Planned obsolescence. We're planning for things to be obsolete so that you have to buy something again. That's just the culture we live in. We live in a consumer culture where everything is pushed on us. That's, that's kind of, you need to buy, you need to have this, you need to get this. You'll be happy if you have this. Um, one of the commercials I kept seeing, I actually saw it this, this weekend as I was watching football, and they had the, if you've seen the commercial for retirement where the people carry around the big number, you ever seen that? And, and one guy's, you know, I was blown away by the numbers they were carrying. And I was like, I'm in trouble if that's what you, um, but they're carrying around these. But, but what the commercial is saying, you've got to have this much if you want your life to be good when you retire. And we get hit with that all the time. Um, I was in Best Buy, and they, they have a program now in Best Buy where you can buy stuff and they guarantee you it'll be worth a certain amount down the road and you can come back in and trade it in for new stuff. So like now they're even trying to get you back. Even You buy a TV, we'll bring it back in a year and you can buy another TV and we'll even give you some money for the one you just bought. Anyway, the, the point, what, is, what does this have to do with Habakkuk? If you know we've been in the book of Habakkuk, we're, kind of, we're, we're winding down. We're really to our last week in Habakkuk this week. And what I want us to look, about, look at and think about today is what our world says on one side and what Scripture says on the other. Because when we read the last three verses of Habakkuk today, what we're going to see is Habakkuk says, my joy is not dependent on any stuff. None. It's not dependent on any of those things. And we're going to see that today. And I want us to hold that up side by side. What Scripture says and what our world says and what we're going to find is they're very, very different. And we're going to talk about the reasons why and what we'll get into. But what we're going to look at today, Habakkuk 3, chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And then we're also going to look at a few verses in Matthew chapter 6 of Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount. And I think you'll see the connection, how they go together. But um, I'll read those to you. And if you, if you find Habakkuk, if you've got a Bible and you want to follow along, if you find Habakkuk, 
Uh, if you go to Matthew and then you go back five books, you get Habakkuk. So if you want to stick your finger or pen or something in Matthew chapter 6 and Habakkuk chapter 3, that's what we're going to look at. But I'm going to read those to you and then we'll, we'll jump into them. But So Habakkuk 3 verses 17 to 19 says this. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the deer's. He makes me tread on my high places. And then this is from Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 19 to 21 and then uh, verse 33. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And then at the end of this teaching, Jesus says to kind of sum this up in verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Let's pray and then we're going to look at those, those two passages together. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. Uh, we come before you today just admitting that without you, this would fall flat. And we pray that you would come, that your Holy Spirit would open our eyes and our hearts, that you would help us to see clearly what your word would have for us, that we would look to you and what you tell us and not what the world says to us, that we'd be so rooted in your love and your grace with that we would let that affect every area of our lives. We thank you for what you've done for us in Jesus, and we pray it in his precious name. Amen. So this morning, we're finishing the series on Habakkuk. And let me just catch you up real quickly. Hopefully, some of you have been here for it. We've been stepping through the book of Habakkuk, and it's three chapters. And what we saw, really, the very first chapter is kind of a back and forth with Habakkuk and God. Really, the first two chapters. Habakkuk talks, God answers. Habakkuk talks, God answers. And then we get to chapter three, and it's this prayer. And what we looked at last week is there's a huge change between chapter three and chapter one on the way Habakkuk is uh, just his outlook and what he's saying, and what he's focused on, and we've talked about that. And what we saw last week is that huge change comes from, in chapter 1, Habakkuk is so concerned with what's happening in the world, and injustice, and the problems, and God gives him his answer, and he says, I'm in control, and I know what's happening, and I'm in control of all this, and even though you don't see how it's working out, I've got a plan. And he walks Habakkuk through that. And we get to chapter 3, and there's this huge change in the way Habakkuk relates to God because he starts to get a glimpse. He starts to get the big picture, what God's doing in the world. And that's what we looked at last week. And what we saw in chapter 3 is Habakkuk steps through. He goes and he dwells richly in Scripture and he remembers and he goes back and he looks at all the things God has said and what he's done. And that's how he he brings us, how he gets to this statement at the end of chapter 3. And what I want us to see, and I want this to be kind of the, uh, the banner over all that we're talking about today, that Habakkuk gets to the end of this. And what we've been saying is here Habakkuk cries out to God because of all the mess in the world. And God says, well, Habakkuk, it's going to get worse. It's going to get worse, but I'm in control and I have a plan. So really, when we get to chapter three, things have not gotten better as far as outward circumstances for Habakkuk. If anything, they've gotten worse. But here he is saying, I will rejoice and I will have the God of my salvation and I will make that the thing I'm about. And the reason is 
what happened is, and this is what we've been saying, and this is the banner over all of it today, is he's starting to align with God's purposes. He's starting to see the world as God sees it. He's getting outside of himself and trying to see it from God's perspective, because that's what God tells him in Habakkuk. Look at what I'm doing. Let me tell you how I'm moving. Quit focusing on just what's right in front of you and see the big picture. And that's really what he says and what happens. So that's going to be kind of the banner over what we're looking at this morning. But what we're going to look at, though, is we hit on these three verses last week. If you were here, we talked about them a little bit real briefly. But this morning, I'm going to take it from a little different angle. We're going to take it some, somewhat from the angle of uh, our resources, our finances, the things we have. We're going to look at this because it's, um, it's right here in this passage. And I want to be real candid. There's three reasons we're, just, we're taking it again and from this angle. And the first is because it's all through Scripture. It's right here in this passage, but it's all through Scripture. It's in Matthew 6 that we're looking at this morning. Um, it's there. That's, that's always going to be the first reason we do it. It's what Scripture says. But then the second reason is, and that's what I was hitting on at the beginning with the ads and the different things, what the world tells us is so different from what God's Word says. What we're bombarded with at every turn is not what God's Word says. So it's important that we stop and address this. And then the third reason, I'm going to talk about this a little bit at the end and we'll kind of pull this in, is we as your leadership as elders are going through a budget process right now. We're starting to look at how we spend money as a church. And I want us collectively as a body of believers to be so biblically centered on how and why we do that. So today we're going to stop and really look at this in that light. So it's uh, affecting, it's, it's the guiding thing that teaches, shows us how we're to spend money as a body, how we're to use our budget, how we're to glorify God and get in line with what he's doing the best that we can. So that's kind of the three reasons we're hitting on that today. So as we consider this, how do we align with God's Right. That's what happens with Habakkuk. He starts to see where God's going. So here's the three questions I want us to ask with that over it, aligning with his purposes. First, what are his purposes? How do we align with it? What does the Bible say to help us to align with it? And then three, why is it important? Okay. So first, what are his purposes? This is going to be real quick because we've hit on this a lot. So hopefully if you've been here, this is review. If you haven't, I'm going to sum it up for us real quick. But this is even in Habakkuk. I'm going to take it from Habakkuk because that's what we've been in. What's God's purposes overall? Habakkuk 2.14 says this, and this is God's second answer to Habakkuk. And he tells him in 2.14, he says, For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Right? That's what God says to Habakkuk. My glory is going to cover the, water, the earth as the waters cover the sea. And that is completely and totally. And then when we see in chapter 3 as Habakkuk is praying back to God and he's let this wash over him. He says this in verse 13 of chapter 3. You went out for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You crushed the head of the house of the wicked, laying him bare from thigh to neck. And when you take those together, what God is saying is my glory is going to cover the earth. I'm in control and that's what's going to happen. And then when we see as Habakkuk prays back to God that God has gone out for the salvation of his people, I'm going to save a remnant and I'm going to redeem and restore. That's God's purposes. We talked about this when we talked about the church. If you were here before, we did a series on the church and I'm just going to hit on this real briefly. Um, 
we talked about what we're to be doing as a church in light of this, in light of God's glory, in light of God saving his anointed. He's going out and, and getting for himself a possession. And what we said over and over, I said it every week in that series, is that we are to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of the darkness. So when we talk about what is his purpose, his purpose is he is going to redeem all of creation and his glory is going to cover the earth. And when we start to think about what it looks like for us to align with it, we're to proclaim the excellencies of the one who called us out of the darkness. So when we talk about what are his purposes, that's it. That's all the time I'm going to spend on that. We've, we've spent a lot of time on that. If you want to go back and listen to those ones on the church, and as we really got into that much deeper, you can, uh, we'll get the sermons for you and those things. But that's, that's kind of the big statement. What I really want us to think about this morning is how do we align with that? How do we align individually but collectively as a body of believers? How do we begin to do that? And there's a, I want to ask a question, a very pointed question. I want you to think about this. And I'm going to tell, I'll be honest with you. As I went through this in my mind over and over, I don't think, I'm probably going to step on everybody's toes here. Because <laughs> it was certainly on mine. I mean, that's just, when we really think about this, and this is a question I want you to be thinking uh, through as we go through this. Does my life... My time, my finances, my resources, my relationships. If I take all those, a snapshot of those things, would somebody come away with, he is most concerned with proclaiming the excellencies of him who called him out of the darkness. Is that what the answer would be when you look at all those things in your life? Because for me, I can say, well, yeah, sometimes, (laughs) but not always and not everything. So as we really start to consider what it looks like to align with his purposes, I want you to have that just in your mind thinking about it. And with that in mind, I want you to look at Matthew chapter 6 with me. And we'll come back to the back. It's going to be kind of back and forth. But Matthew 6, verses 19 to 21, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves Treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I want you to see, do you see the connection here this morning as we talk about Habakkuk 3, where Habakkuk says, I've got nothing. We're in famine. That's what he's saying at the end of Habakkuk. There's no crops, there's no anything, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord of my salvation. And then you see Jesus here saying, Make me the center. Store up eternal things. Use what you have in your life and focus it on me. That's what Jesus is saying. Do you see the connection between the two? Habakkuk's already got it. Jesus is telling us that's the way it goes. That's the way it should be. And what he's saying is, what Jesus is saying and what God is telling Habakkuk in both situations is, focus on me, not the world. Focus on what I'm doing in the world instead of just the world itself. You see how he makes that? You see it in both, in both places. Focus, when we focus on other things, when we decide, as Jesus says here, when we lay up ourselves treasures on earth, you're going to be dis- disappointed. Because that's what he says, where moth and rust will destroy and where thieves will break in and steal. If your happiness is in your stuff, what happens when it's, somebody breaks in and steals it? You're in trouble. Right? It's the same thing with Habakkuk. That's what he's telling what we're seeing in Habakkuk. You focus on God and what he's doing and all that other stuff 
falls by the wayside. You see that connection between the two because they're both tied so close together. Because when we focus our joy to have a deep abiding joy that Habakkuk has in chapter 3, and this is what we talked about last week, the way that that happens is we focus completely and clearly on God and nothing else. We let all those other things come under the light of his gospel of what he's done for us. And that transforms the way we see everything. You see that difference? And that's what he's saying. So if our joy, our deepest, most abiding joy that, that uh, perseveres through all circumstances is when we put him center. That's God's plan for us. He wants us to be a relationship with him, to put him above all else. Doesn't it stand to make sense that the Bible tells us some things on how to do so? Well, it does. <laughs> it's a rhetorical question, but the answer is yes. It does tell us that, and it tells us some things. Um, and as we talk about even just our finances, if you go back to the Old Testament, there's a couple of principles that God puts in place in the Old Testament. He says, if you've ever heard of, uh, it's in, let's see, it's in Exodus, it's in Leviticus, it's in Deuteronomy. It's all through there about the principle of the first fruits, if you've ever heard that before. Uh, first fruits is um, society where they're growing crops and they're uh, agricultural society. They bring their first fruits to God. That was the principle. And what God said is when you go out and you harvest your stuff, your first couple days of harvest, your first fruits, the thing before you get done harvesting everything else, before you've counted it, before you've paid all your bills, before you've done everything, you bring it to me first. And the reason he says that, I want us to think about why God does that, why he tells them to do that. And what he's doing is he's guarding of us making other things in front of him. Come to me first. Bring your first fruits to me first and then go and look at all the other stuff. And that is so counter to what our culture says. It's so counter to the way we live a lot of times. And I'll be the first to admit, it's very easy to go, here's my paycheck and then I'll take my stuff and I'll pay all my bills and I'll figure things out. And then if I've got something left over, I'll, I'll tip God. That's, that's really what happens. You know, Joanna reminded me that. She said when she very first became a believer in the very first church we went to when we were married, she said, it was before I was going there, she said the pastor brought that up and he said, are you tipping God? And Joanna said, I what? I literally was. She was working nights as a waitress and different things, and she had a little bit left over. And out of her tip, she said, I was tip. She said, I'd never heard that before. And suddenly it got my heart. I am doing just that. And that's why God in, in the Old Testament says the, the principle of your first fruits, you come to me first, you make me central in your life. You come to me first. And he puts that there to help we, we look at it so many times in our broken, sinful way and oh, my, it's my money and I want that. It's God's grace that he's trying to show us. Come and make me first. And it's his grace because that deep abiding joy is only going to come when you make him first. And he knows that he knows that because he made you. So even when you think about just that principle of you come to me first, it's God's grace. But that's not the only thing he also you go back to Old Testament and he puts in place a tithe. We talk about tithes and offerings. You hear that in the church. A tithe, if you know what that is, that's 10%. That's what it means, tithe. That's actually what the word means. And God says, you bring your tithe. You come to me first. You bring this. And uh, a lot of times when we talk about tithe, I'll be honest, I was going. There was a time on Thursday where I was working on this. I was like, can I just skip that part? I, really, I mean, it makes us uncomfortable. 
It kind of makes me uncomfortable. Oh, no, talking about money stuff. But it's there. And not only is it there, a lot of times we talk about tithe and we get kind of wishy-washy and we go, oh, well, that's Old Testament thing and Jesus is grace and love and we don't really worry about law anymore or what he said. And The sad part is a lot of times we don't hear this, but Jesus actually affirms the tithe in Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty-two. And if you want to write those down, and we're not going to go through them right now, but he actually says... He says to the Pharisees, he says, you tithe and you do all these things, but you forget the poor and the needy. And he says, you should be for the poor and the needy. But he also says, but it's good that you tithe. He does, he does both. He doesn't do away with it. And the reality of the New Testament is this. Tithing is not something that just happened back here. You know, really, when you look at what Jesus says and the way he talks about our resources and what we do with our lives, and I'm not just talking about our money how we spend our time, our relationships, all, all those things. A whole life tithe, if you will. When you look at Matthew 6, and he says, don't lay up treasures in heaven, lay up treasures that have eternal value. When you look at Luke 14, and Jesus says, everything in your life should look like hate compared to how much you love me. If anything, the tithe in the Old Testament, Jesus raises the bar greatly. I mean, that's, that, that's the hard, that's what it says. And as I thought, man, well, maybe I can kind of sidestep around this and we'll just talk about, I'll just say resources instead of finances, or I'll say, we're not being faithful to what Scripture says. And he says these things so clearly. And he says, and he wants us to be giving to the cause, aligning with what God is doing in the world. That to be our first fruits, our first thought is I want to be so aligned with what God is doing in the world and the spread of his gospel that that's the thing I care more about than anything else. So why is this so important? That's kind of the last thing we're looking at this morning. Why is that so important? In Habakkuk 3, when, when Habakkuk says, I'm, there's nothing, there's no food, there's nothing in the stalls, there's nothing, but yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. He's got nothing. He's impending doom coming down on him. But yes, he says, I've got God. So I rejoice. And I see it through that. And when you see that in Habakkuk 3, the reason this is so important when we start to think about aligning with how we spent all of it, spending our money, spending our time, all of these things, when we align with God's heart, there's a deep joy that is deep and abiding above all else that can't be taken away. So when we talk about this, uh, it's not a matter of, oh, let's talk about budget and money stuff. It's let's talk about what is your hope in and what do you care about above all else and what are you using all that you have for. That's what we're talking about. In Malachi 3... If you ever, old, another Old Testament prophet, <laughs> and write this down, Malachi 3, it talks about tithing and giving to God and what it means. And there's an incredible thing that God says in Malachi 3. That I, was, I read it over and over this week. And what he says in that chapter is when you align with what I'm doing and you make me central, you come to me first and you give generously to, what, uh, to the spread of my name, he says, 
God actually says these words. He says, test me on this. God says, test me. And I kept reading that over and over and thought, really? God saying that to it over? Test me on this. And then what he says is, I will bless you beyond your wildest imagination. The sad part is oftentimes you hear that. I've seen it on TV late at night. And the guy's standing up and he says, if you send a thousand dollars and then I'll quote just a little part of that verse, you will unleash God's potential in your life and now you'll be rich. That is not what the Bible teaches. That is what man distorts the Bible to say. You may not be rich. You may not be rich in terms of earthly things. You may not suddenly have a great stock portfolio or get a raise or any of those things, but you will be rich in that you will have a deep and abiding joy that cannot be shaken because you're aligning with what God is doing. You're, you're lining up with what He wants to do in, in earth, on earth, which is His glory is going to cover the entire earth. And He wants you in on that. He wants to graciously use us. Make me sinner. And your joy will be deep and abiding. I want to be real clear. I mean, we're getting right towards the end here on this. This is not a, uh, we're doing budget, so here's a plea for money. We're not going to pass out cards, and we're not going to do, you know, we're just not doing that. <laughs> um, I'll be real honest with you. I'm not worried about our budget. I don't lose sleep over it. I just don't. God doesn't need your money. I may have just blown Bill's probably upset at me. (laughs) Financial guy. Uh, He doesn't need your money, but here's why it's important. God wants your best, and He wants your first, because He wants you to be overwhelmed with love for Him and what He's doing in the world. It's not about... It's not about money. It's about spreading His name to the ends of the earth. I was so, I didn't want to, part of I didn't want to do this sermon in that I didn't want people to think we're standing up here asking for money. Because I don't care about money. At all. I want us as a group to give generously so that we can go out and spread his name to the ends of the earth. That's why we're talking about this. It's not about now we've got money in the budget to buy some new stuff for the building. And this is kind of where I get to the budget part. The reality is this. This is our philosophy of the budget this year, and we've been talking about this a lot. We're trying to cut out all things that are not essential for spreading the gospel. That means... We're probably not going to have new chairs in here for a long time, so get used to these. That type of thing. We're just looking at every little thing we do, and does it really help to go out of these walls to spread the gospel? And if it doesn't, we're getting rid of it. That's it. I mean, that's, that's the main thing of our budget. We've talked about setting, we're not going to raise our budget a whole lot. We're just going to basically keep it the same, and then anything that happens, if we get more than that, Great, it goes out. We don't go, oh, good, we can buy some new stuff. We say, oh, good, we can support another missionary. 
we can give more away for the cause of Christ. That, that's essentially our, bud, that's our philosophy, if you're wondering. That's exactly how we're going at it. What can we do to have more go out for the cause of Christ? So I say that to, to, to put it this way. I want you on your knees with us praying that we do that. And we do that with Scripture in hand and we let God's Word guide how we spend money and why we do it. And we need us as a body of believers praying and on our face before God to that end. How do we do that? So the last part, why do we do this? Right? Why, why talk about all this? Why is this so important? And it's simply this. When Jesus came to us, He left his throne in heaven. God of the universe comes to us and he poured out his wealth in that he humbled himself to coming to us, to being us, to living the life that we should live, to taking the punishment that we deserved even to the point of death. I heard it said the other day, Jesus didn't tie the portion of his blood. He didn't give a part of it. He didn't take a section of God's wrath and then leave the rest up to us. He took it all. He completely and totally poured himself out for us. That's why we do this. That's why we care. That's why we want to do it, because of what he's done for us. Hear me on this. If you're here and you're not a believer, maybe the whole thought of Jesus and who he is, you're still asking questions. That's fine, and we are so glad you're here. And we want to answer questions any way we can. We don't want your money. We want faithful, generous giving because you're so overwhelmed by what Jesus has done for you. Not that you're trying to earn something with God. If you write a check, if you tithe or you go, oh, we're going to pass the offering now. And you go, oh, he guilted me and I'm not giving or I should do that. I don't want you to give. I want you to give because you realize what God has done for you in Jesus Christ and you're so overwhelmed that you want that to go out. That has to be the reason. Jesus says it over and over. I'm after your heart. I'm after you. I'm after all of you. I want your heart to be right. And that's why this is so important. And I want you to realize this. I'm going to end with this this morning. Because when we realize what Christ has done for us, and collectively all we have, our time, our money, our resources, all of it, when you think about this, all of it becomes God's grace poured out for our world. You can take, uh, we can take what we make and we can take our money and we can go and we can buy toys and nice stuff and things, as Jesus says, that are going to just rust and go away. Or we can take them and we can pour them out for the cost, the the cause of the cross where moth can't destroy, where there is eternal value. So as we leave today, understand what we're after. We want to be a people that is so taken with the cross of Christ and what he's done for us, so far above all and else that that is what we treasure above anything else. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you. We can never, ever begin to thank you enough for what you've done for us. I pray that you would move in our hearts, that you would reveal areas that, that, we, uh, that we put other things ahead of you. I thank you for your grace and the way you continually reveal those things. I pray that you would uh, 
move in this place, that you would unite us under one thing, and that one thing alone is your glory, your name being known among the nations, that that would be what we're after and nothing else. We pray that you would just move, that you would bring us to that place, and we just thank you for all you've done for us. We pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.